Take your copy of God's Word tonight, and I believe God wants us to be here in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I think you'd agree with me tonight when I say this. We won't take time to look at this verse, but in the book of Revelation chapter 5, I believe it's verse number 9, the Bible says that in heaven, every, uh, there's going to be at the throne of God every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. Now, I, I just have to tell you that for that to happen, there's a whole lot of work that has to go on. We're not finished yet. Now, I know Jesus can come anytime, and certainly during the tribulation period, there are going to be masses and multitudes of humanity saved. There's no question about that. But the truth is, if there's going to be every tribe and every nation under heaven, God's going to do some special things. And I believe that God wants to do some special things through our lives and through your life and my life. I'm going to make a statement to you. I believe so often that we live far below what God wants for us. Some of you young people are sitting here, you've got some ambitions for your life, but God's got something far greater for you. If you would just open up your heart and say, God, I'm open to whatever you may have. And I'm here to tell you that God wants to do some special things in our life. We're here in the book of Luke chapter 5, and if you'll stand for just a moment, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. will be our text tonight. I've preached from this passage before but this message is a message that God has laid upon my heart for tonight, and I believe it is what God wants to open this conference. And I've just entitled this message, Christ Wants to Do Something Special Through Our Lives. He wants to do something special through our lives. Notice what the Bible says in verse number one. It came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, and of course him here is a re- reference to, to Christ, to hear the word of God, he stood on the lake of Gennesaret, or by the lake of Gennesaret, And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for the draft, or for a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. When they had thus done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. That had a profound impact on Simon. Notice verse number 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he saw it, he fell down, At Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. So was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this missions conference and for the Cleveland Baptist Church and for all that you've done over these nearly 63 years now. And Father, uh, or almost 64 now, I, I do pray, Father, that you would bless this conference in a very, very special way. I, I pray, Father, that you would, Lord, just do something unique. We thank you for what you've already done tonight in the service through the presentation and Brother Seth's testimony, and Lord, just the the music and just the opening video. Lord, all those things have been stirring. 
Lord, we, we've come tonight because we, we need to hear from the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I'm asking you to help me to be that vessel. You know I've talked to you about this today. And I need your help. I can't do it without you, oh God. And I pray that you just move in our midst tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. In 1792, William Carey was just 30 years of age. He had newly been ordained into the gospel ministry. God was stirring in his heart for missionary work and allowed, and allowed him to preach at a place called the Baptist Association meeting that was being held at the Friar Lane Baptist Chapel. During that message, Carey's motto that he became known for, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God, that was basically where he first gave that particular motto. He became known for that. That statement, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God, was more than just words as far as William Carey was concerned. In April of 1793, Mr. Carey, his wife, and three sons sailed from London, England, and went on to Calcutta, India, finally arriving in November that year. You know, we talk about arduous journeys of getting on an airplane, and it's taking us 24 hours to get there. Can you imagine leaving in April and not arriving to the mission field till November on a ship? So he got there in November, and the purpose, of course, in arriving was to impact the Indian people with the message of the gospel. And their attempt wasn't without its difficulty or cost. Seven years, think about this, of seemingly making no progress. Preaching and trying to reach people, but yet no results to the gospel message. However, in the year 1800, Kerry established a mission base from which he printed, preached, and educated the Indian people. God blessed Carey's efforts and the gospel message spread across the south of India. By the time of his death in 1834, he had translated the scriptures into dozens of languages and dialects. He had also established a college and a seminary to train the Indian nationals. William Carey would go down in history being known as the father of modern missions. Now most of us are not going to be called to go to India to do a work like William Carey has done, although India still needs missionaries. There are countries across the face of the globe where people are completely unengaged and and really not being reached for the gospel. However, his mission statement, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God, is something that all of us ought to have in our heart to say, you know, that's something I want God to do in my life. I I want God to, to show himself, to manifest himself in some unusual way in my life. And I want to attempt something for him. Something that's unusual. I I want God to do something special through our life. Well, in our text, we find the Lord's dealing with a man that we know as Simon Peter. What transpires in Peter's life and on that boat that day in particular, there on the Sea of Galilee, will forever impact him. Of course, the narrative is given to us in the opening of this few verses, Jesus is just beginning his ministry. It's kind of new and, and it's just beginning to develop as, as Jesus has kind of stepped out of obscurity after his baptism and began to preach and, and, and he's taking the place of John the Baptist. And the indication is that the crowds of people are, are kind of thronging to him and, and we find that he's got a mission, of course, to complete before he goes to the cross. We know ultimately Jesus came for that purpose, didn't he? He came to die on the cross so that you and I can be 
forgiven. But during his ministry, his three and a half years of ministry, he had something to accomplish. He needed to take a group of men uh, and train them to become the, the people that would carry on his work after the cross and after the resurrection. He must educate and mentor and train these men. They must grasp that he is more than just, a think about this, a religious teacher, an exceptional orator, and a healer, but he ha- they have to understand he is literally God. Amen. Now notice in the text, it indicates, at least from my perspective, Though it doesn't outright say it, it seems to me that it's mourning. And I want you to understand with me as we look at this today that there's a group of people that are following Jesus Christ and they're pressing upon him here at the water's edge. Peter and his fishing partners, the Bible said, have been out on the lake. They've been fishing all night. They've completed their they're, they're fishing for that evening, they're, uh, for that night, and they're, now it's morning, and they're washing their nets. They're getting ready to put them away so that they can go home and maybe get a little bit to eat and maybe rest a little bit and start all over again that night. But the Bible's pretty clear, and it's pretty state, stated clearly that they've toiled all night and have taken nothing. So they're there on the shore. Let me interject that some of these men... That, that are indicated here in this passage, not everybody perhaps, that are working with Peter, James, and John, but at least Peter, James, and John, the, the indication is that these men have had some previous interaction with Jesus. We know that Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, was one of the first ones being a disciple of John the Baptist when John pointed at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We know that he was one of those who followed Jesus. We read in John chapter 1, verses 41 and 42, And he, Andrew, findeth his brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which being interpreted is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, and thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. And so we understand that, Prior to this meeting here in Luke chapter 5, no doubt Peter has met Jesus. There's been some interaction. There's been some speaking. There's been some introduction, so to speak. Well, at the end of Luke chapter 4, Jesus has been at Peter's house. Now, we don't have time to look at that, but Jesus has come to Capernaum. He's preached there, and as he's preached, of course, uh, he's been taken home to Peter's house afterwards to perhaps have a bite to eat, maybe to spend the night. And when he gets there, Peter's mother-in-law is sick and Jesus heals her. And the Bible's pretty clear that as, as soon as that happens, the word spreads that, hey, there's a potential that the Messiah is here and then he can heal others. And so dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of people are healed there in Capernaum. Now it's a bit later here in Luke chapter 5. I don't know how much later. I can't give you a timeline here exactly how long, but perhaps a few days, maybe several weeks. But some time has passed since Jesus has been at Peter's house. And so now it's, this event is taking place at the Sea of Galilee. We know that Peter, James, and John have had this entrepreneurial fishing business. They make their living off the water. They fish to, to feed their families. And so they've been through this process that night and have taken nothing. And I want you to notice that Jesus now has continued to deal with Peter in this passage. Peter's a man who has natural ability to be a leader among men. God will use him in a special way in the future. So I want you to notice, would you please, would you look in the text when the Bible says that Jesus, without invitation, just steps into Peter's boat. It says, Peter, I want you to thrust out a little from the land and So he sits down, the Bible says, and he begins to teach the people. 
I don't know why my watch is going off. I just don't need that to happen. It's supposed to be on silent. But he's done teaching the people, and he says, hey, thrust out into the deep and let down your nets for the draft. Now, Peter isn't really anxious about that. I'll just be honest with you. He doesn't want to do it. But he complies because he respects Jesus. He, he's seen him do some miracles, and I don't think he was expecting a miracle. I think he just was going to be complicit, so to speak. And the Bible says as soon as he lets down the net, immediately he takes in this great catch of fish so much so that his net begins to break. He calls his partners. They fill both the boats, and Peter is overwhelmed by what has happened. So much so that he realizes that this man in his boat is not just a man. It changes his life. I want us to walk together through this text tonight, and I want us to see there are really four things I want to share with you from this text this evening that as we think about it, if we want the fact that Jesus wants to do something special, there's some things that must transpire in our life if that's going to happen. Would you notice, first of all, for Jesus to do something special in our life, first of all, he must be in your boat. He's got to be in your boat. Uh, Peter, James, and John had fished all night before Jesus showed up. Think, think about this. So they've had their two boats out on the lake. They've, they've fished. The, the Bible says they've toiled all night. And, and I want to just make this statement. You know, again, we've got some folks here who like to fish. I know Brother Hoffman is here and some of his family. Of course, they have that place up there in Canada. And, and of course, they'll talk, talk to you about the time when the, when the fish are running and when they bite. And, and you know, in, in some respects, I'm sure there's some work involved in it. But it's not the same kind of fishing. Fishing that Peter, James, and John are doing here is, the, the Bible says they, they use nets. And, and the idea, the, the word toil here means it, it's labor intensive. So I want you to think with me, they've thrown these nets out all night, they've thrown them out all night, and this is the time when fish are supposed to run. This is when you're supposed to be able to catch fish. And the Bible says that they've toiled, they've worked at it all night, they fished, they fished, they fished, until the, the, the light is breaking over the horizon and and the fish, they know that it's senseless to fish anymore because fishing is done. So they haul their nets back into the boat. They come back to the land and they're sitting there just minding their own business, just washing their nets, putting them away to go home and maybe tonight it'll be better. When all of a sudden, Jesus steps up and he says, Hey, Pete, I need you to use your boat. Would you let me borrow your boat? Jesus steps in the boat and life begins to change. If you want God to do something special through your life, you need to make sure that Jesus is in your boat. Let me ask you a question tonight. I know this is Wednesday night, and we would anticipate on Wednesday night that most everybody in the service would be someone who would have a testimony of salvation. But I can just tell you that I've been in enough services to know that not everybody that steps through the door, even on a Wednesday night, is a born-again Christian. And I'm here to tell you, if you want God to do something special in your life, you better have a relationship, a personal relationship with Christ. And we can use the analogy tonight of Jesus being in your boat is the fact that Jesus has saved you, that he's stepped into your life, that he's made you a new person. The Bible says, behold, all things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, there's a lot of people that toil about a lot of things in life. They try to be productive. They try to have, uh, they, they try to have some, so, uh, some, some tranquility. They try to enjoy a life. But, but they tried a lot of things. They're like the, like the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he, he had everything. 
He had the wine. He had the women. He had the song. He had, the, he, he had everything that you, the world would tell you that you need to be happy. And his life was empty. He made the statement over and over again, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I think to myself, there's a lot of powerful people in this world. We just saw recently a man by the name of Elon Musk raise over $44 billion to buy a, a tweeting company. Now, I don't know Elon Musk, but I do like free speech. But, but he, I'm here to tell you that buying, uh, having the ability to buy a company like that doesn't necessarily make your life fulfilled or, 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 or having great joy or great happiness. And all, we look at all these athletes who come into great money because of their talents and their gifts and because they can play a, 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 game, a game. Or we see somebody that's been gifted with a, the ability to make music and, and, or entertain. They can act and they make millions and millions of dollars and they can buy the nicest houses. And yet their life is a train wreck. And I'm here to tell you that when Jesus steps in the boat, he changes everything. And if you're here tonight and you don't have Jesus, have a personal relationship with, your, your, with Christ, if you don't have a testimony of God's grace and mercy, if you've never been born again, I want to encourage you tonight when we have the invitation that you step out and trust him. If you are born again, let me also say Jesus being in the boat is more than him just being in the boat. It's also him having control of your life. I was 16 years old, sitting in this very auditorium. It was March, back in the 1970s. And I have to tell you that, you know, in some respects, I, I grew up in a good Christian home, and, and I was a, as good a kid as you could be, but I, I have to tell you that I really wasn't all that interested in what God had for me. I had my own plans laid out. There were things that I wanted to do. And being involved in ministry really wasn't high on the priority list. But it was in a missions conference. It was during a, a service like this when God got a hold of the attention and began to wring my heart. And God was basically saying, Kevin, I can do so much more with you if you'll just let me have your life. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you are so familiar with it. You've heard it over and over again if you've been part of this church. But the Bible there says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the, often the thought is, I mean, you know, that's okay for you preachers, and that's okay for these folks that are here that are missionaries, and that's okay for folks that are working in the Christian school, but I'm just a lowly church member. Why should I do that? Because Jesus Christ bought and paid for you just like he bought and paid for me. And he deserves to be able to step into my life and control my life, every facet of it, every dimension of it, and he wants to do so much more, but I'm here to tell you, you'll never see God do something special until Jesus steps into your boat. Secondly, would you notice for Jesus to do something special, you've got to launch out and get into the deep. Look at verse number four. Now when he left speaking, he said, Simon, launch out. Notice the phrase, into the deep. Now Jesus spoke to Peter, and after his teaching, he said, I want you to get out there into the deep water. If you want something special, you've got to get out of the shallow waters and out to where the waters run deep. Many Christians, and I'm not being trying to be hard to deal with here tonight, but I, let me just make this statement. There are a lot of Christians who are happy to be spectators. 
They don't mind listening. And they, don't, they love coming to conferences like this and listening to what, what, what missionaries are doing, and they're thrilled about that. And some of them don't mind, you know, wading out a little bit from the shore. Have you ever been, you know, I'm not a, a great beach person. I, I'm not a, I, I, don't, I love swimming, but I, I'm not real fond of sand. But, but, you know, there is something about even here at Lake Erie, and I know it's not the cleanest water, although we all drink it. I hope they're purifying it. But, but the truth of the matter is, you know, you get down by Edgewater Park, or you go out to Huntington Beach, you know, and you take your shoes off, and, you, and you, know, you know, we don't mind, you know, I don't mind, you know, kind of showing my white legs a little bit. <laughs> Wading out there in the water, just enjoying, you know, especially on a hot day, making sure my, my feet get nice and cool. But you know, I want to tell you something. You're never, probably not going to catch many fish by the shore. If you're going to catch some fish, you've got to get out there where it's deep. You've got to get out where the fish run. And the truth of the matter is, is, you know, if we want to experience great things, we've got to launch out into the deep waters at the command of Jesus. Now, now the problem is with deep waters, it can be a bit scary. It can be a little bit intimidating. It can be a little bit overwhelming to get out there where the deep waters are. But I'm here to tell you, for something special to happen, you, you've got to hear the voice of Jesus. You've got to be willing to say, okay, Lord, if that's what you want, I, I know it's a little scary. I know it's a little intimidating. I, I know it's a little bit beyond what a, my comfort zone would be, but I, I, I want to hear you, and I want to follow you, and I want you to do something in my life, so I'll do it. Would you take your copy of God's Word and hold your place here in Luke chapter 5 and go with me to Psalm 107 for just a moment? Notice what it says in Psalms 107, verse number 23. The Bible says, they that go down to the sea in ships that do business, here's the phrase, in great waters. That's deep waters. Notice the next statement, please. These see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Now, time out for a moment. Would you understand the implication is that if you want to see God do something, you've got to get out there in the deep? You can't see it unless you're out into the deep. You can't, be out, you can't see the mighty hands of God until you're out there where, where the waters run deep. For he commandeth and he raiseth the stormy wind in which lifted up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again into the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like drunken men and are at their wits end. Now time out for a moment. That's scary. I mean, to, to be out there and, and, the, and the sea is rocking and waving and that boat's being thrown all over the place and you feel like it's going to take on water and you're going to go under, that, that's a little bit intimidating. But what you notice, the Bible says that in, uh, what happens, they then, then, when they're in the deep water, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet, and so he bringeth them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works unto the children of men. But I'm here to tell you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that, hey, for that to happen, you've got to get out there where it's a little bit scary, where it's a little bit unnerving, where it's a little bit difficult. Nominal Christianity never sees the extraordinary things. Let me make that statement again. Nominal Christianity will never see the extraordinary works of the great God of heaven because they're afraid to get out there where God can do those things. Take someone who wants to see, have Jesus in their boat and willing to listen and respond to him when he speaks. 
We need to set aside our fears, our insecurities, and be willing to obey his voice. To do what he commands us to do, we need to be ready to launch out. No one ever sees God do great things until they're willing to surrender their life to the Lord. To get out of the shallow waters and get out where the deep waters are. And Jesus said, okay, you're out there in the deep waters. Now here's what I want you to do, Peter. You're out here now. Let down your net. See, it wasn't enough just to be out there. They, they had to let down the net. They had, to, they had to engage in the work that Jesus commanded. That's part of being in the deep water. Peter says, you're now in some deep waters. Now let down your net. Now, now, now listen, Peter, listen, Peter was a man who fished for a living. So, so listen to me very carefully. He fished for a living, and he understood nobody fished at this time. This was not a time when people went fishing. Now, maybe you stand on the shore and you want to, you know, just dabble at it. That's okay. But if you're going to fish for a living, this is not the time you do it. You don't, you don't get out in the deep water at this hour of the day and let down a net. You're just not going to do that. It, it was seemingly ridiculous request. It seemed unreasonable. He, he just had washed the nets after a night of laboring. He, he just wanted to, I'm telling you, he just wanted to pack it up and go home. Deep water engagement can seem unreasonable, demanding, challenging. To some people, it seems foolish, but it's so productive. You folks that are part of Cleveland Baptist Church, if you know the history, I want to tell you, you are sitting in a place tonight, and you're enjoying the fruits of a man who came to Cleveland, Ohio, when people told him not to come. Brother Thompson, my understanding from his testimony, from almost the day of his salvation, is called the ministry. God had laid Cleveland, Ohio upon his heart, and people had tried to talk him out of coming here. Don't come to Cleveland. Other people come to Cleveland better than you. That's the implication. They failed. Why do you think you'll have some success? But he came. His own pastor, and I'm, I'm not telling you not to obey your pastor. <laughs> but Brother Billington really tried to talk Brother Thompson into going to Youngstown. I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad he obeyed the Lord. There was a Folger family waiting. We didn't know him and he didn't know us. My grandfather was an old crusty guy who had worked in the oil fields and gas industry here in Northeast Ohio. Attended a Methodist church, but really didn't know anything about God. Or, I mean, he knew enough to be saved. I, I, they did preach the gospel in the Methodist church in those days. But he didn't know anything about serving God. He didn't know anything about being involved in ministry. My dad and mom were content to live out in Berea, Ohio with a couple kids and my grandfather came to the first service and he called my dad and said, Bob, you got to bring Nancy and the kids here next week. My dad said, church in a house? Who ever heard of that? <laughs> my dad was enough of a son who respected his father who wouldn't give him a much lip. And so my dad came with Nancy and Brenda and Kevin the next week. I don't remember much about that. I was nine months old. But I'm so glad that man came to the Cleveland, Ohio. I'm glad he engaged. I'm glad he got in some deep water.
I'm here to tell you, you never experienced the greatness of God. Can you, can you imagine? He started in a house in 1958. By 1968, 1969, this, this building was already under construction. Church was growing so rapidly and souls were being saved. All because a man got in some deep water. I'm not saying God couldn't use somebody else to do that, but I'm sure glad he used him. I'm thinking to myself about a guy by the name of Jerry Novak who just buried his wife in Kenya. Same mission conference that God stirred my heart, God stirred Jerry's heart. Jerry was a year older than me. He went off to Bible college a year before me. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm not much. There's not much God's going to be able to do with me. But Jerry was even more backward than I was. I'm telling you, you'd have to, you almost had to go up to Jerry and to, to get two words out of him. And you could, you could speak sentences. And Jerry would say, yep. And Jerry finished Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri and went off to Quincy, Illinois to work in a church there trying to prepare himself to go to the mission field. I still remember when Pastor Thompson said, hey, Jerry's going to Kenya. And I thought to myself, oh, boy. I met Nancy. Nancy was about as quiet as Jerry was. She was a little bit more boisterous than Jerry. And I thought, how is Jerry ever going to stand before people and preach? How is he going to ever do that? I still remember the conference he came. You, you remember that, Roger. Some of the folks have been here a long time. Jerry stood behind this pulpit, and all of a sudden, God did something. And Jerry's been in Kenya 40 years. Just buried his sweet wife who died of cancer there. You know, there are churches all over Kenya because Jerry Novak got in some deep water. Jesus got in his boat and got in some deep water. God began to do something. You want God to do something special in your life? Some of you, it's stepping up. Some of you, maybe it's a a Sunday school class. That seems so intimidating to you. But God's stirring in you, and God wants you to do something. For some of you, God's giving you a voice, but you, you'd be so scared to stand before these people and sing. I'm scared to stand before them and preach. But, but God wants to do something, and it's a matter of stepping out and getting into some deep water where you have to trust him for something that's beyond you. I know it's intimidating. We're living in a culture, and we're living in a time in which, listen, who knows what's going to happen in the economy? And with these people running the country, who knows what's going to happen? So are we going to set back this year when it comes to the missions conference and our giving? You say, well, you know, everything's going up. Gasoline costs me more. My groceries cost me more. My milk costs me more. My bacon costs me more. My eggs cost me more. My hamburger costs me more. I don't know that I can do any more. Well, how are we ever going to get the world reached if we don't make some sacrifices? I'm saying that, hey, sometimes it's getting out in the deep water. I'm, I'm not saying you give away your grocery money. I'm not saying you give away your mortgage money. I'm just, I'm just simply saying, hey, you want to see God do something? Trust him when he leads you into some deep water. To do what he commands you to do. I'm just simply saying it's there. Notice thirdly, for Jesus to do something special, you're going to have to see him clearly. Look at verse number eight. The Bible says, and when Simon Peter saw it, what did he see? He saw this miracle. 
a, a miracle that no one could ever anticipate. No, nobody would ever anticipate that people would catch this kind of fish at this kind of moment. So he understood, hey, when Jesus said, let down the net, and all of a sudden, it didn't take hours, it didn't take minutes, it, didn't, it happened that quickly. He understood whoever has the ability to make that happen isn't just a teacher. Notice what he says in verse number five. Simon Peter answering said, Master, we have told all night. Would you notice that word master? He's acknowledging Jesus as a wonderful teacher, a a, a rabbi, so to speak, someone who has the ability to, to, to help a crowd understand truth. But that changes in verse number eight, doesn't it? When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O master. Is that what your Bible says? No, no, he changes the word, doesn't he? He changes the word to Lord, capital L. He's saying, whoever you are, I'm acknowledging you as a master, as a sovereign, as a controller. I'm understanding you are more than a man. That's what he's saying. Like Peter, we must realize we're just sinful people. People Peter understood that he was a wicked man in the presence of an all-powerful, all-holy God. No man ever sees his sinfulness until he sees the Lord's holiness. Can I remind you that Moses, as a man, thought he could handle things in his own power until God sent him on the backside of the desert for 40 years and finally got him up on Mount Sinai and he saw a bush on fire that was not consumed and God said, hey, Moses, kick off your shoes because you are standing on holy ground. God changed Moses' life there in the presence of an all-holy, all-powerful God. Can I tell you that Isaiah had the same experience in Isaiah chapter 6. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. Can I tell you the problem with most of us? Most people, most Christians today, don't see God as high and holy. We want to bring him down to our level. We we want to see him like us. He's almost like our buddy. No, no, he's holy God. Hey, hey, young person, he's holy God. And, And he's worthy of your life. He died to redeem you. I'm saying to you, we've got to see him as holy God. I'm telling you, God can take our lives as little as they may seem and do something unusual if we'll understand who he is. Finally, would you notice tonight, for Jesus to do something special, you've got to be willing to walk away. Look, look at verse 11. After they had this experience, after they came back to land, and when they had, Jesus had told them, he said, hey, hey, Simon, fear not, from henceforth you're going to catch men, verse 11. And when they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Peter, James, and John, they had to be willing to walk away from other pursuits for that to happen. Now, I don't know all that was involved in this, but I will tell you that as far as I know, those boats were their life. That's where they made their living, that's how they fed their families. That's how they, that, 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 was, that was their identification. This is, this, is, this is who we are. We're fishermen. But when Jesus stepped in the boat and when he began to do these great works, God said, hey, look, I've got something else for you. I'm going to put you in some other deep water. But you're not going to be fishing for fish. You're going to be fishing for men. For that to happen, they had to be willing to walk away. I don't mean to embarrass them, but Frank and Rebecca are here tonight, and they're launching out the deep. 
the Baptist church planning ministry. I love the name Heritage. <laughs> Still remember when Frank got saved. <laughs> when a guy like Frank walks to the door, you can't miss him, can you? When Frank and Rebecca came to this church, they, they were divorced. Their lives were in shambles. Two children, Rebecca and Frank, were sharing parenting, and Frank was living in his parents' bedroom. <laughs> Rebecca was living on her own. But Frank started attending this church because Dan Novi, his friend, invited him. And he'll tell you, he, first Wednesday he came in here, he never heard anything like this. People opening the Bible and explaining it. I, I think Frankie came out a couple of months, got saved. How much? You came a year and a half before you got saved? You're hard-headed, man. <laughs> well, God saved him. He changed his life, didn't he? I still love the story about Frank after being here for a while. He and Becca still divorced, and she's going to some nominal church someplace and not living for the Lord really the way they should. And Frank goes over to Rebecca's house and knocks on the door. She answers and says, Frank looks at her and says, you know, you know, I've, I've gotten saved and you're saved and I know we're divorced, but you know, the way I read the Bible, we're not really divorced. And she slammed the door in his face. <laughs> she didn't want to hear that. And then God started working and they got down to Florida and got remarried. Still remember the call when Frank called me and said, Pastor, he said, uh, I think God may be calling me into ministry. Now, you've got to know, know this family because everything they've, they touch turns to gold. They took, a, I think, a small little landscaping business down in Florida. They were only there about three years, and they had like nine customers when they started. Three years later, it had like 900 customers. They just built a brand new home. And God said, Frank, I, I'm calling you. And Frank said, I think we need to come back to Cleveland, go to the Bible Institute, because God wants us in the ministry. Now, God's not calling everybody to, to leave their job. But I'm so glad that they're willing to get into the boat, let Jesus in the boat and change their life. I'm so glad they're willing to walk away from some things to start some other things. I don't know what God, some of you, it's not a walking away from something. For some of you, perhaps, as the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, you're hindered tonight from God doing something special in your life. He's in your boat, but, but, you, but the point is, is that he's not really controlling your life because you've got some weight that's holding you back. The Bible talks about weights. Some people in here, perhaps you've got a hobby or something that you just love to do. It's just really, it's really enamored you and it's keeping you from giving God the focus of where he needs to be in your life. I don't know what that may be. I don't know who you may be tonight. But sometimes we need to lay aside the weight. And the Bible says not only the weights, but there are some people maybe that are being held back tonight by some sins. Something's got a hold of your life that's just keeping you from being what God wants you to be. Can I tell you, you'll never see God do something special in your life until you're willing to forsake that, to walk away from it. Look, he bought and paid for you. He ought to get everything he paid for. Hey, teenager, he bought and paid for you. You ought to get everything he paid for. 
I don't know about you, but I want to see God do something special. I'm not a young man anymore. <laughs> I'm not, I don't feel old, <laughs> but I'm not the young man I used to be. I never thought I'd be in my 60s. I thought Jesus was going to come before I ever got this far in life. I'm so grateful for what God's enabled us to be a part of, but I would have never known that unless as a teenager I said, okay, God, you got it. You're not getting much, but what I have and what, I, what, it, what, what you've given to me, I'm, I'm giving to you. I never believed that God would allow me to pastor this church or to travel this country and represent a ministry like Spiritual Leadership Asia or to be involved with Asian nationals trying to reach some of the darkest part of this world. I never believed God would let me do that. But it's all because you let Jesus in the boat and you launch out and get into some deep water and you're willing to walk away from some things. So how is it tonight with you? So we start this missions conference. It starts really with the heart, doesn't it? It starts with the heart. It says, God, I want to see you do something in and through my life. Hey, teenager, you want to see God do something through your life? You young adults, you want to see God do something? You young couples, you want to see God do, do something from, through your life? Follow these, these truths that are found in this text. I'm here to tell you there's a God in heaven who wants to take you further, do something more extensive, more exciting, more thrilling than you've ever dreamed of. But you've got to get out into the deep. It's scary. But when he says, let down the net, you'll be glad you did. You'll be glad he was in the boat. You'll be glad that you listen to his voice.